You're listening to The Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to The Perth Property Show. It's a beautiful Monday morning heading into the middle of April. We have Sam Carello back in the studio. It's been a couple of months. Things have been a bit quiet in the interest rate space up until the last fortnight really with all this COVID and now there's something to talk about. There's deferrals, there's interest rates that are just ridiculously low, there's fixed rates that are even lower and Sam, you're the man to talk to. Hit us with your summation of what is going on right now. Hey Trent, thanks for having me on. Yeah, I mean the last month's just been obviously with COVID-19. It's been a bit of a, a bloodbath, to be honest, out there. What we're seeing is the banks, in response to it, they have brought out the repayment holiday. So it's not free money. It's not a holiday. Explain that. Yeah. So I'm what sure they're... you've had 100 phone calls from your clients <laughs> asking for free money. <gasps> yeah. Well, why wouldn't you? Um, <laughs> no. So what the banks do is they'll put your repayments on hold for anywhere from three to six months. And what they'll do is no repayment required over that period, but the interest gets capitalized to the loan. And then you obviously uh, pay it back over time. So, say you had an interest repayment of say two thousand per month, and you took a six-month repayment holiday, twelve thousand dollars at the end of that six months would be capitalised to your loan, and then you're you're obviously paying interest on that interest that you haven't paid. So, don't recommend it unless unemployed and fortunately you've lost your job and cash flow is a bit tight. Definitely a last resort, but it is there. So what's happened is the banks all came out in response. Obviously, COVID hit us pretty hard and pretty quickly, and it took about a week for them to get their heads around what they were going to offer. A lot of the banks have gone to an online system because the phone lines have just been blown up with sort of four to five hour holds. And they've probably lost a lot of their staff to all these restrictions, right? So there's more calls and less people to answer them. Correct. Yeah. A lot of the banks are hurting at the moment, especially the ones who have offshore processing centers. But yeah, that's right. So there's four to five hour holds. So what a lot of the banks have done is they've brought on this uh, online form where you, you go on, fill in the online form, and then someone will be in touch. But essentially, most of the banks are just granting these three to six month repayment freezes or, or pauses. Is it a bit sneaky of them? Is it an opportune thing for them where they just seem a little too happy to allow this as an op- option? It's something that you had to go through massive hoops before this all happened a month ago if you're in a little bit of financial stress or a lot of financial stress, jumping a lot of hoops, obviously with APRA on their back. Now it just seems like they're handing them out like lollies. Yeah, but that's just because the volume of how many people it's affected. So, I mean, typically you're right, with the hardship stuff, you would have to prove that you were in hardship, but the sheer number of volume that they've got, I, I spoke to some BDMs and they were getting sort of 9,000 to 10,000 calls in the space of two days. You can't go through and and physically assess each client's position because if they are reaching out for hardship, they're obviously in a little bit of trouble. So what what the banks have done is they've gone, all right, we've just got to put a line through this and go, if anyone asks for it, we're we're going to approve it and and we'll capitalise that interest for that three to six months, which is meaning it's speeding up the process to help people get on it. If they had to assess that many applications, I'd hate to think. Correct, yeah, and then it'd be a month to two months down the track from when you requested it. And you could be in even worse. The last thing the banks want to do is obviously foreclose on people. Even now, I think this is probably the safest time for anyone really in the history of having a loan to, if you lost your job, to probably be not be kicked out on your bum. Correct, yeah. And with these repayment holidays or freezes, it's not affecting your credit file as well. So ASIC have come out and said, if you do take it, again, previously, pre-COVID, it would probably put a mark on your credit file as they've come out and said there will be no effect on your credit file. So there's not going to be a black mark on you. 
uh, if you do go for further lending down the track. It's purely just to help get people through the next three to six months. It will, however, we aren't using to make it very clear, it will obviously add capitalized interest to the back of that loan. So people have to be aware of that. It's not free money. Are any banks okay. giving free money? No free money. <laughs> okay. No banks are giving free money. So no. it is just kicking the can down the road. I will ask you this question though, Sam, and I know you're not a financial planner, but what they're doing is kicking the can down the road at a cost of 2 to 3%, right? Correct, yep. If I felt like I could do something better with my money over the next few months than 2 to 3%, would that not be an opportunity for me? <laughs> Again, I'm not a financial planner, so this isn't advice. But yeah, potentially, if you could make you know, your 8 to 10% in the market, you may see people do that. Not advice, but it's, it's also a, re- a reality, right? It's an opportunity. It's a cost of capital. Correct, yeah. And I guess now with the banks, now they aren't assessing them. They're essentially granting these three to six months. You know, you, you don't have to prove that you're in hardship so like i said it's not it's not a great thing to go into because you are you will be, you will be paying more on your mortgage and you you'd want to make more. sure you've done something good with that money if if you were opting into that and didn't really need to correct yeah yeah cheeky question that was but i thought <laughs> it's, it's, it's a i think it's a practical question as well. i'm sure some people have thought about it yeah and no, i mean i had a, a few of my clients who were you know probably in a pretty good position financially and uh, they were some of the first ones to call me yep like i said i think it was potentially misrepresentative when it was first released, uh, potentially by the media. Uh, and just that misunderstanding where people thought, hey, I can get away with not making repayments for six months and the bank's going to cop cop the interest. Well, that's that's not how it works. So I think definitely when, when things like this happen, there's always people who look for opportunity. And yeah, like you said, potentially if you deferred them and then, yeah, invested elsewhere. There may be an opportunity, but it's not not what the, the point of this program is. No, correct. Yeah, this is to help people who, who need it. Let's move on to loan applications. You write a lot of loan applications. Things have obviously changed on the processing times of that as well. Can, do you have any advice to people with re, even other brokers out there who maybe just be chasing rate all the time, chasing the best interest rate? Uh, but you, what you're doing is you're seeing some of those applications put at risk, aren't you, with some banks who are just are never going to be able to meet that standard 28-day f- finance approval period. There are other banks that are picking it up still within a day. Correct, yeah. There's some banks out there who are out to sort of 25 to 30 business days just to pick up your, your file for assessment. That, that means an extension, doesn't it? You, most sellers will not approve an offer that says, yeah, give me 45 days to get finance. Correct, yeah, and that's 25 to 30 business days as well. So you're looking at five to six weeks just to get the file in front of someone and then no doubt with the, I guess, the heightened scrutiny at the moment, the bank are probably going to come back and ask ask a few questions. And that will take time. Correct, so then it gets reverted back to the broker or the client and then uh, you've got to gather that information and and then go back and then it's back in queue again. Look, I'm looking at banks, for example, we just had a $140,000 loan that we had through Strategic and that was with NAB. That took 35 days to get picked up, calendar days. Yep. Tiny little loan like that. Did a loan with Virgin in the same week. It was approved in a week. Yep. Isn't it interesting how the smaller lenders probably aren't being as affected as much by what's going on? Yeah, it is. In terms of the majors, CBA, I'll put a shout out to them too. They're, they're very sharp at the moment. Great. So, a lot of their, their stuff is in Australia. And that's where we're seeing the difference. If the banks aren't having to send stuff overseas, it's a lot quicker. Obviously, uh, over in the Philippines and uh, India, where a lot of the, the majors, I guess, have centers, they've all been shut completely. 
so that the banks are now having to try and train people in Australia to take on these jobs. Mm. Some of the banks aren't even answering phone calls now. Yeah, uh, very, and that's that's a reality, right? Just like the airline, the, the booking agents of tourism companies just can't take the volume. The banks are the same. Correct. Yeah, but you're right. There's there's definitely lenders out there who are still getting one to two day turnarounds with, you know, if you submit a, a good application, you got your information up front. The work's been done. Oh, I think I always say this every time we catch up. It's important to do that extra five to 10% of work up front to make sure the deal fits and it suits what you're looking to do because there have been quite a few changes even in the last week or two from lenders. Tell us about those changes in terms of the scrutiny. Now, a lot of lenders have brought in COVID-19 questions. So, a couple of questions that the client has to answer, which is, have you been affected by COVID-19 and do you expect a change in terms of your financial circumstance? And that's for both deals that have been lodged and deals that have been approved but yet to settle. So, we haven't had any approved deals get unapproved or pulled. All ours have gone through, but I have heard stories out there of, of banks, I guess, checking in just before settlement and then uh, pulling it because circumstance has changed. Tell you what, you wouldn't want to be a, that settlement agent on that deal. No, you would not. <laughs> um, so that, and that's, I mean, that, that's the bank looking after the client as well. If they've taken the loan when they've been employed and then they've been unfortunately stood down, well, if there's no income coming in now, they expected to. Yeah. You know, I guess the goal is, yeah, you do want to buy that house, but is it putting you in the right financial position? And it's probably, well, the answer is no. It's good. It's prudent. And it's it's good self-governing prudence that are coming out from these banks because I don't think they're getting, I don't think it's APRA pushing this on them. I think it's the banks actually taking the initiative and that demonstrates a good bank. Correct. It's interesting to see that when these levels of prudence come from the bank and not APRA, they seem to actually be quite uh, workable and reasonable for the community to understand and accept as well. Yeah, completely agree. And I think it's important, you know, they've got to, like I said, protect their book. Last thing they want to do is sign up people and then two weeks later, they're defaulting on their mortgage. So Exactly, especially in Western Australia where we've got the highest rate of mortgage stress and mortgage default in the country. Yeah, In a lot of suburbs that are very densely concentrated with that, you just don't want to be having people who thought it was a good idea, it was still a good idea, just about to get their build ready to go. They've been working so hard with the planning and now they lost their jobs and they just want to get the build started. But really, you need someone to tap you on the shoulder and say, look, mate, probably not the best idea right now. Leave this for six months. Correct. Yeah. It's just that, I guess, common sense, which... You know, as we all know, buying property can be a motive, uh, especially if it's for owner op purposes. So sometimes you just do need maybe that tap on the shoulder or that, that third party to say, hey, maybe this isn't the right idea right now. Tell us about the rates space. Last time we spoke, we were talking about how we might see a rate in the twos one day. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I think last time we caught up, most rates were sort of mid to high threes. Yeah. Uh, and if you're on mid to high threes, you're doing pretty well. Uh, obviously, the RBA have dropped. They're now at a, a record low 0.25 cash rate. We had the emergency cut in, in March. That uh, didn't help us on the residential space, though, did it, really? Not many banks moved with that. Not on the on the emergency, not on the variables. So, A and Z, from my knowledge, were the only ones to move on the variable. Uh, and a couple of the smaller ones like Advantage. Uh, didn't, Probably a marketing thing. Yeah, correct. Didn't pass on the full 0.25. It was 0.15. But what they did, uh, that mid-March emergency cut... A lot of the banks came out and released really sharp two and three-year fixed rates. So, they're starting from 2.09 now. A good variable rate typically sits in that 2.8, 2.9 space. And with that, when they did do that in response to, to COVID-19, they uh, did increase the deposit rates. 
So term deposit rates went up by about 0.7. Help pensioners. Correct. That's where we saw a big drop was in your business lending. So some of those banks dropped by 200 points. Mm. Why do you think the fixed rates are so low? Normally, a fixed rate represents a forward-thinking bank thinking it's going to keep dropping to this point eventually where the variable would be at this point. Uh, it also represents global money as well, where they're getting their contracts from. But why do you think there is now such a stark chasm between a variable rate and the fixed rate? Yeah, so I mean, most banks is probably a 0.6 difference, which is over, you know, I guess what we used to say is the RBA rate cut. So that's over two there. Um, the, the RBA can't cut two more rate cuts. So where is the argument for anyone to not take a fixed rate unless they have some idea that they want to break that in that time frame and should be variable? Yeah, I think we've gone over the fixed rates before. So there are limitations around uh, offset accounts on them. So most lenders won't allow an offset and they will limit repayments to an extra five to 10,000 per annum. So with the fixed rates, like always, you just got to make sure it's suitable for yourself. I think what we're seeing now with our clients is we are getting in touch and, and quite a few are looking to split the loan. So they're thinking, you know, 2.2, 2.3, that's cheap money. I still need access to my cash and my offset, but let's look to split it, you know, a 70-30 split or, or whatever suits them. I mean, with our clients, we sit down, we do a budget and we go, look, how much extra can you actually repay per month? You know, if you can only put an extra, say you put an extra 100000 in over three years, for example, and you had a $800,000 loan, you could do, say, 600 on a fixed, 200 variable, and you're probably not going to hit that variable ceiling by the time the fixed rate's up. Mm. So it's just making sure that it suits the client and suits what they're looking to achieve. The RBA has come out and said they can't really move anymore, right? And in the past, we've postulated on, can it go any lower? It, the RBA is at 1.75. Surely it can't go any lower. A fixed rate possibly is a good idea right now. But now we're at a point where we know the RBA can't go any lower and therefore the fixed rates probably won't get any lower. The variable rates, unless it's for a marketing reason, doesn't seem like they're going to get any lower. It's, it seems like an interesting time right now where whilst we're confident we probably won't see increases in the rates for years, right? A couple of years, I think, yeah. There's therefore this big differential other than with an offset account which you've spoken about between a variable rate and a fixed rate. A variable rate people mainly get for an offset which is nearly worth nothing to them these days, two and a bit percent, that's what you're saving, right? Correct. You could do a lot with that money elsewhere or the flexibility if it drops. If there's an inability for it to drop because the bank's margins have been demonstrated now that, that that's what it is. It's the rate minus 0.25% with the RBA uh, and the RBA can't move anymore. Then what flexibility do we need anymore? I, I guess it, it just depends, I guess, a what sort of cash holdings you got on and, and what you plan to do. Like, Although you and I may enjoy dabbling in the share market, it's not for everyone. So people's risk appetite, I guess, you know. I've got clients who their goal is just to pay down their, their home loan. They just want to be debt-free on the home loan and that's it. They they don't care if the rate's 2% or 8% or if they can make extra money in the share market. They just want the home loan gone. It just depends what, what you want to do with your cash and if you've got cash coming in. What happens if you're, you're selling a property? If you need to sell in two years and you, you sign up for a five-year fixed rate, that's not going to help. Okay, so the flexibility of one, being able to pay down your loan quicker yep. is not there with a fixed Yep. And the flexibility of if something is structurally going to change in your life, if you do own a small business, for example, and you might be at risk with what's going on in the, the economy, a possible recession, that fixed rate may also not serve you if you have to sell your home. Correct, yeah. So if you don't sell. think you've got those risk factors with you or those requirements, then there could be a real argument again, like there was maybe at the 4% level a couple of years ago, that a 2 and a bit percent fixed rate is a very cheap money to hold assets. 
Yeah, I mean that four percent level was only probably a year ago. Yeah, it's crazy. It, was, to it think. wasn't too too long ago where four percent or you know high threes you you're doing well. Yeah, like I said, like any anything with fixed rates, you, you've just got to make sure it's suitable for you and, and you know the ins and outs and you've actually spoken with to that. anyone. Yeah. yeah. And if you fix in, I think I gave this example last time, one of my properties I fixed in three years ago at 4.2% and that matures uh, on the 9th of May. What are you going to do? Uh, that is staying on, it's going to come out onto the variable and then I'll probably refinance it. But I mean, with that lender, we, we've got fixed rates at sort of, you know, 2.14%. Is so, it in the back of your mind of thinking, look, you know, it's a family home. Why not just fix it at that rate? Correct, yeah. Or at least fix a portion yep. for me. I think, you know, I wouldn't fix it all. I would fix a portion for okay. my circumstance. Any other advice, Sam, before you crack on with the rest of your day with your clients to people out there right now in this current space, either looking for opportunities to buy and get a good rate or currently having properties and unsure what to do with their current rate? Yeah, so I think in terms of people looking to buy, I think it's a good time to buy still. I think if you're, you're confident, and I'll say that with two conditions, I think if you're confident in your employment, you know, you're confident that you're still going to have a job in six months' time and still get paid and you can afford the loan, then I think it's a good time to buy. Uh, the other thing is I think if you have a long-term hold, I mean, I have a lot of clients call me and say, do you reckon property prices are going to drop? And I don't know how far they are going to go down, I think. If you've got a long-term hold, you're buying in a blue chip area, you're confident with your employment. I, I don't see what the issue in getting into the market right now is because there's not much competition out there for you. That's very true. There's not much competition. And people, I've said this the last couple of weeks in a row, just because there's a pandemic doesn't mean sellers have to sell at the price you might want it for, especially if these sellers in these blue chip areas are in no way financially affected really by the pandemic they don't work in tourism they haven't lost their job in real retail or hospitality those sort of areas they're not compelled to sell and they're not going to be compelled to sell at some ridiculously discounted rate so if you are looking to invest into an area that isn't in a socioeconomic demographic affected by the pandemic i don't see how this is a much different prospect than it was a few months ago correct and some people have been saying oh there's going to be a flow of properties on the market because people have lost their jobs but again with the banks offering these these packages and the government offering uh obviously you know the job keeper allowance and things like that oh, i don't see them all coming on immediately and how exactly especially over the next three to four months where everyone's talking about it saying oh look what do you reckon there'll be heaps of deals coming on and i i don't see how that is because for the first time ever the banks are not really in that headspace of wanting to put you uh, into mortgaging and possession at the very first space for three to six months. They will defer your loan Correct, if you yeah. can't pay it. And then from that point on, uh, hopefully you can start paying your mortgage again. Yeah, or they'll review it again. Yeah. You know, it's it's not like there's a hard and fast, you know, this is six months and then we're going to go out and if you're not paying your mortgage, we're going to go collect your keys. Yeah. The banks will, will still negotiate. They've released this three to six month period where they're just signing anyone, essentially anyone off. It's just to get through the flow because they've been absolutely smashed with how many people have, you know, tried to call up and apply for this due to, you know, the effects on how many people have unfortunately, you know, lost their jobs or been on reduced hours or, or stood down. That's a really, really practical and good point, Sam, I think, for us to finish on today is the realities for anyone out there thinking that across the board, there will be massive drops based on mortgage stress. For the first time ever, there's nearly a default position where mortgage stress will not happen for three to six months at the very least. 
Correct. And yeah, I, I just don't see it happening. And, and we're recovering pretty well here in, in WA as well. The fundamentals are still the same. Unless yeah. structurally, uh, the arse falls out of Perth because of the retail, the employment in the retail and hospitality and tourism space. The same fundamentals of super tight rental vacancy rates, uh, super tight levels of stock on the market, they're still there. Correct, yeah. Sammy, thanks very much for coming in, mate. I appreciate it. No, nah, anytime, Trent. My S- pleasure. Speak to you very soon. See you, mate. Okay, suburb spotlight time now. We are talking about one of Perth's most affluent suburbs, one of Perth's most beautiful suburbs and most protected. It's Swanbourne. We haven't spent a lot of time in the western suburbs recently and I thought it was time to have a chat about one of our front runners in terms of price but also growth and we've got to talk to our number one agent, Jason Renoff. Thank you very much for coming in, mate. No, pleasure. Thanks for having us along, Trent. Jason if you had a sentence for me about what that Swanbourne lifestyle means to you, you're a long-term resident, what would it be? Look, I think it's all about the coastal village lifestyle and the proximity to schools. People often talk about the coast, but you look at the map, it runs a long way north and a long way south. But if you look at the conglomeration of schools, you know, in the immediate access area to Swanbourne, you've got 80%, I reckon, at least of the best schools. It's a pretty private area, isn't it? You wouldn't drive through Swanbourne if you didn't need to. If you didn't live there, there's not really any through roads. Yeah, no, look, you're right. And particularly on the ocean side of the line. And I think a result of that, it suffers a little bit of brand awareness. I say that in contrast to Cottesloe. You know, obviously, it's a more common path through the suburb of Cottesloe. But I'd like to think that is part of its strength too. I mean, the ocean side of the line, if you're driving through most streets in Swanbourne, if you live there, you're visiting someone or you're lost. Swanbourne houses some of Perth's richest people, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, particularly you look at the immediate ocean precinct, uh, particularly the section of Marine Parade, which I'd suggest is, to me, the best section of Marine Parade. You it's know. a very private section. You wouldn't drive... If you were coming home from Cottesloe from the beach and you were popping back onto the highway, you stop before you even get to Swanbourne, don't you? Yeah, that's right. Most people are going to turn up North Street and head to West Coast or whatever. But, yeah, I mean, you look at the, the homes through there that are being that have been built and that are being built, vacant blocks that were sold for over $8 million, property owners that, that own adjoining sites. Yeah. Um, I mean, none of these have actually been sold. Uh, there are the, some very notable names, you know. Yeah, yeah, Names yeah. like Dale Alcock, Andrew Roberts of Multiplex, uh, Michael Cheney. These people we'd all know as, as household names. They're all literally neighbours. Well, you know, I don't want to comment on names, but I mean, yeah, definitely. <laughs> we don't need addresses, but no, you know, no, they no. live there, don't they? Yeah, well, look, sure, or we'll be living there, some of them as well. But, you know, I mean, you look at the houses that, uh, that, that are built there and are going to be built. I mean, they've got to be 10 to $15 million houses. I mean, the land content, the improvements, some stunning architecture. David Hartree just designed a, a beautiful home for a client on the front there and uh, it's a, it's a stunning award-winning architectural piece and quite striking to drive by. It's not just for the multimillionaires though, is it? It is an expensive suburb, but it, it's still a suburb that most people could aspire to one day if they uh, set their mind to it. Yeah, I mean, particularly, you know, I'd suggest the bottom end of Swanbourne is the cheapest it's ever been comparatively in the 29 years that I've been in the industry. I mean, you can purchase in Swanbourne for under a million dollars and you know the reality is that you can purchase a home in just about any suburb for a million dollars you know i mean it's it's that's not a lot of money relative to you know west australian real estate that's what i like about it it's safe it's secure it's got the beach it's not too far from the river it's very quiet it's got the schools it's got great parks it does have an accessible buy-in point you mentioned schools hit us with a bit more information on that where are you sending your kids that's the thing that i find 
um, well before I even had kids that delivered a lot of clients to my office. You know, back in the day, I did used to meet a lot of parents who would come over on a recce mission from the East Coast or, or further abroad to look at the schools, you know, and then the schools would dictate where they wanted to live. And, you know, look, look a lot of people you know, coming back from the UK, expats or not, and sort of thinking, well, these are the schools. It'd be lovely to live by the beach. Swanbourne is a really, you know, very family-friendly area, and it does have a village lifestyle. I mean, the the local shopping strip there, you'll find the, the residents uh, all frequent and applaud. I mean, the local IGA, the butcher store, Jeremy's, you know, the the bottle shop. The it's a village lifestyle. That's what you're getting, isn't it? Look, it is. You know, you can go and post a letter, buy a bottle of wine. You know, there's places to have a meal. I mean, it, and, and it is. It's, it just does promote a sense of community. And again, you'll find in each of the precincts, there's generally a, a, a smallish park in the centre of it that is such that the scale of it doesn't really attract people to drive to it. So it's typically frequented by local residents that, that, that then it becomes a hub of the local community. So there's all the people walking the dogs and playing with the kids. And I don't know, it just does promote a sense of community. If you weren't going to send your kids to a private school, would Shenton be the place to be? Shenton College, uh, wholeheartedly. I mean, it's got a, a very notable academic uh, intake and, and sincerely from, well, anecdotally, at least I've been told by a number of people that it, it did really dent the uh, enrolments of the local schools because I think before Shenton came along, it was probably the one week link on an educational platform because Swanbourne Primary School, North Cottesloe Primary School, Cottesloe Primary all considered to be really good state-run uh, primary facilities. The kindies are great. You know, so all of that, the pre-primary. But, you know, I think there was just a little bit of, well, I don't know whether it was, whether it was accurate or not, but at least that was a perception or a, or in part a commentary. There wasn't a good enough state school. It seemed to be, yeah. Look, that that's what I would hear. But I, I know a lot of people are sending their kids to Shandon College. Oh, and it's performing very well these days. Yeah, definitely. Um, when we talk about a bit of history, would the barracks come into that as an important part of the suburb even today? The way that people look at it, does it affect the lifestyle in any way yeah. in a positive or negative aspect? I, I think a lot of people would forget, oh, geez, there's a barrack since one born. Yeah, look, and interestingly enough, in the new housing estate, that uh, sits upon the old Swanbourne High School. There's a notation to make everybody aware that there is a barracks nearby and they do occasionally make some noise because they, they do, they, they fire weaponry or whatever it is, I don't know, and there's helicopters from time to time, but it certainly is of no detrimental effect on my lifestyle ever and I almost found it quite comical that the, that they felt obliged to note it on the title. You'd probably so. feel a bit safer, wouldn't you, knowing that the army, if they were going to be anywhere, they'd be there. Yeah, look, <laughs> totally. And, uh, you know, I've got to say, it's it's never worried me. Occasionally, you know, because I, I guess everybody perceives things differently, occasionally I will get people comment that, well, you know, it's getting a bit close to the SAS, but... As you say, other people comment that it couldn't be a safer place to live. <laughs> Very true. Uh, yeah. I want to hark back to it again. Do you have any history for us? Multi-decades ago, how Swanbourne started. Was it always an affluent suburb or was it the sticks for a while? No, look, I mean, I, I grew up in Swanbourne. I went to Swanbourne Primary School. And I mean, even in the in the western suburbs, I can tell you, I mean, it's, Swanbourne was never rated or Cottesloe either for that matter, as it is now. I mean, there was a big step down from Claremont to Cottesloe and indeed to Swanbourne. Uh, why, why do you think that is? Was it just seen as too far out? It, it just wasn't where people with money lived. People lived in Peppermint Grove, they were in Dowkeith, Netherlands and Claremont. And then, mm. 
be closer know. to the city where they're probably working. Yeah, look, and I think that was a critical thing too that you raised. I mean, I think people were more concerned with proximity to the city. Um, than to the ocean at that time. Yeah, and I mean, I don't think the ocean was was generally rated either. I mean, like you look at a lot of the old apartment blocks and a lot of the houses, they didn't direct towards the views. And it was a very working class suburb. I mean, I look at the demographic and, and the people, you know, with my kids at school and sporting teams and all the rest of it, the, the amount of medical... And, uh, you know, the, you look at the, the, the demographic uh, and the work choices of people in there, it's, it's not the spread that it was when I was a child, for example, mm. where there was people from all walks of life. Now it's a lot of mining, it's a lot of medical, it's a lot of professional services. Yeah, um, a lot of white collar. Well, just about exclusively, I'd suggest. And, I, and I'm not, not saying that that's altogether a good thing. You know, it's, not, it's not never a bad thing to have a, a spread of... Uh, of people in any community but that's the way it's, it's what going. it is it's what it is yeah based on that based on i guess that socioeconomic demographic uh and the price point do you find that it's an older suburb or there, is there an, a good filter of young families coming through in their 30s yeah look i i'd suggest it's generally younger um well i guess look we do get people wanting to move from darkheath and nedlands who has who are slightly older because of the smaller blocks, Dalkeith and Nedlands. Quarter acres. Quarter acres. The the big advantage of Swanbourne like Cottesloe is there was always small blocks. I mean, there's 279 square metre blocks in Cot. There's 306 square metre blocks in Swanbourne. They're not new. They've been there since the 50s, yeah. you know. Uh, so there's whole sec. So we've got a, a good offering of small, medium and medium sized lots. There's not a lot of big ones. Uh, you know, by that I mean over 750 square metres, they're, they're, they're few and far between. Overwhelmingly, it, I do think, again, it's the schools. I mean, every year, Scotch College, Christchurch, MLC, John the 23rd, you know, all these schools have an intake of new students and uh, with all the extracurricular that the kids do these days, you know, I don't know how parents cope who are both working because there is so many demands upon what kids are doing these days. There's so many activities involved. And that directs them to want to live closer to the schools, mm. you know. I mean, just even coming from City Beach, coming from Mount Claremont, you know, I've sold houses to people in Swanbourne. You know, kids going to Scotch didn't want to drive five times a day or four times a day from Mount Claremont anymore, you know? So not the greatest distance to travel. No, it's not, but, is it? But I guess if you've, <laughs> if you've got the affordability and the desire, I mean, look, I, I'm biased, obviously. Uh, you know, if you're beach focused, I, and I think that's the big thing too. I mean, you know. It's a quiet beach, isn't it? Yeah, it's a quiet beach. Cot Beach, Cot Main Beach is obviously very popular with the tourists and whatnot. I think down the Swanbourne end, it's a little bit more local. It's local. It's, yeah. It has to be local, I think, because most people look at that barracks and go, oh, stay away from there. Yeah. <laughs> the local people, they go, yeah, straight down to the ocean. Yeah, I mean, you look at even, say, Swanee Surf Club, you know, that's it, it's very popular with the local community. It's a really community-based sort of club. Yeah. You'd make a lot of friends there, wouldn't you, if you were growing up there? Yeah, I mean, I went, I, I was a member as a kid myself, and you know, it's a good service that they provide, and uh, and it's a beautiful beach, you know. Yeah. Um, that's good. That's yeah, a great yeah. lifestyle, uh, especially for a young kid growing up. Let's talk about uh, price points. Uh, you mentioned that it is an, a suburb that can be more accessible financially than others around. Uh, I guess that might be because of the smaller blocks. Can you give us that detail from most economic option, even if it's a flat, if it exists? For example, in Swanbourne, all the way up to the most expensive things you've seen. 
Yeah, sure. So you've got apartments. There's not a lot of them, but you know, starting in the three to four hundreds. Are they older apartments or are they the Blackburn uh, ones from a couple of years ago? Yeah, there's the Blackburns that are like you know four hundred odd, and then there's also some other ones that are in Shenton Road. There's not a lot of density in the suburb at all, and I guess that's probably what's protected the suburb as it is because none of the blocks, a lot of the blocks, were five thirty to six hundred square meters. So. R20 zoning, unlike Scarborough, that you know you couldn't subdivide them under yep. the under the R codes anyway. So that's why there's not been a lot of change to the streetscapes. It's certainly in the form of density, yep. renewal and renovation by what, all means. And then you step up, I guess. In is there is there anything in that yeah, whole so, high hundred thousands mark? What would that be below a mill if it's not an apartment? There's a couple of duplexes. There's really not many of them, you know. And maybe you're going to be around the. 800s perhaps you know then you jump to entry level housing that's probably mid nines pushing a million sort of thing for either a little 60s three by one needs work i've got one of those as an investment property myself that you know rock solid little not the sexiest period of or inspired period of australian architecture but they're solid little bomb shelters and you know they rent them out you know no problems at all or you might get a little workers cottage timber frame obviously appeals a little bit more to the romantics out there yep but yeah so you can buy under a million quickly jump from there to the one threes one fours and an original home that's been improved you know you're heading up towards the medium which is around 1.7 what are you getting for that yeah i mean 1.7 you're getting um on a traditional block size of say 500 square meters which is a lot of swanbourne you know you probably got a perhaps an original 1930s 1940s you know brick and tile home that's probably got a i'd suggest at that price point it's got an a later extension on the back of it that's perhaps a little dated something that's just been done and has all the mod cons and current decor you're going to be pushing up closer to the one nines to the two million dollar mark mm. so yeah and what one, square meterage are they would be on you know 539 okay. yep. you know 545 square meters yeah maybe a 600 but you know as a rule of thumb on the scotch college side of swanbourne there's approximately 700 houses there you're looking at around 22 2300 dollars a meter land content and then on the ocean side, it, it's 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 just it, it is marginally more expensive. The Allen Park precinct, you know, Reeve Street, Watt Street, Clement Street, your three hundred six square metre blocks, block value homes are selling around the one point one mark now, one point one five. Again, for a little sixties place that's dated. The last couple of them that have been bought, people have bought to knock them over at around the one ones. Strong locational benefits. Uh, West Coast Highway in the middle does set up a genuine decision to be made for a lot of people which side of the line that they want to be on. Obviously the eastern side does appeal to people with the schools, you know, with the drop-offs and probably sneaking into work a bit easier as well. On the western side, obviously that's beach-focused. When you're up in that price point, it probably doesn't really matter Uh, and you're never going to have a like-for-like exactly on block size and uh, product of the build at that point either. It's really what's important to you. Is it Scotch or is it Christchurch or are you sending your girls to St. Hilda's or Iona? Uh, You probably live in Cottesloe if you are going to want to be that close, you know. Uh, Are you sending your kids to Shenton Park or John 23rd or... Uh, scotch it might be in swanbourne if that's about the kids lifestyle and if it's more about a sea change well do you want to be right in the middle of the action or will you rather have a little more of a private life those are the, the differences we're talking about right 
Yeah, I mean, in saying that or hearing that, Trent makes me thinking that regardless of my old boy tie, I probably should be sending my sons to uh, Scotch rather than Christchurch because they've <laughs> probably directed more traffic my way. Let's quickly segue into what will be a short part of the sec- of the segment today, and that's development and subdivision. Obviously, you prefaced before there's not a lot of it because there's not really a lot of it allowed. We, we had the Blackburn uh, development up a couple of years ago, and that would have been a massive change to the suburb and the offerings. Well, I want to ask you, one, how well was that received? And two... Do you see any more development opportunities uh, being available if they aren't already either in corner blocks or bigger built form institutional developments that might be coming up? Is it needed? Is it not needed? Is it missing in an aging suburb? Uh, The Blackburn development, I don't believe, was received all that well by the residents. There was quite a, a reasonable protest about it before and during the construction did seem like a, an unusual placement for the density you know it's a bit of a pimple on a hill seems to defy the general principles I would have thought of density which from my general understandings or musings I, I just found it really quite uh, an, an unusual result I mean uh, you know I'm do you not- think it was an opportunity for the for the state government to get an easy bit of cash maybe sell a sell an asset a square of land and let the developer do what they want with it? Well, I think it was more the approval processes because what was actually built, I don't think really was what everybody originally envisaged or, or I don't think is actually what the original zonings really... Um, I think they might have got some concessions through the appeals processes to, to, to put a few more units in there yeah. than they were originally. I think you were right. It wasn't that well received generally. It took a long time to sell and it wasn't that profitable. So all those outcomes do reflect the fact that it probably didn't fit the area the same way that Blackburn, uh, for all the good they've done in a lot of other areas, done some really and got some really cool ideas going on. Probably that one missed the mark. The facility to walk through is, you know, there's, there's some amazing features that put into it. In, it's all about location, design. location, location, though, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it does seem unusual. Like you see, I, there's a development on the other side of the road. There's there's two developments in that street, and and I marketed uh, eight homes on the other side of the road for the other client and sold those in the middle of all that upheaval which was was interesting shall I say but uh, you see people walk out of out of the building on foot and where are you going to go yeah it (laughs) just does seem unusual where I I I just can't help but think that it could have been better placed where would it be then Jason like well everyone's going to pull their weight yeah as per the state government's directives where would this would Swanbourne have better been able to do well, so? Well, there's probably nowhere nowhere in Swanbourne that anyone would want it. To well, be fair, clearly, in the it's a suburbs. very nimby, nimby yeah, suburb. Yeah. It's a Subiaco. It's a Nedlands. Yeah, Dalkey. totally. No one wants it. They pay their money to be away from the density. But if we've all got to pull our weight, and the aging population needs somewhere to go that isn't a nursing home, where where yeah. what would the solution well, be? You know, look, I think the thing to me, I felt that development was a misstep. For the residents, the future residents, the current residents, as much as anything else, because I just think that it could have been positioned so much better. And I'm just going off, you know, general, you know, general readings or concepts of of density. And you know, the general understanding is you put it around a hub, you put mm. it around a train line, you put it around some facilities so people can so walk. So Swanbourne train station. Yeah, I mean that that. I mean, I'm sure the residents in that immediate area probably wouldn't be thrilled to hear that. But I mean, if you look at the logic of it, that's that makes sense. And I'm not trying to upset anybody here, but I mean, you look at it, the general concepts of it. If they are going to do it, you might as like well Grant do it. Grant Street, something well, like that. You might as well do it well, you yeah. know, and and have have a, an end product that people can 
there always will be resistance in the western suburbs to any change and and i got to admit i'm part of that I, I i like the suburb as it is but the reality of it is is that if the, as the density has been thrust upon us again i i look at that development and think it was just a misstep a better outcome than that a client of mine did one just up the road from my office other side of the line which is actually Cottesloe just opposite the Swanbourne train station though uh, I think they did a fantastic development it was four units and I think if they did more of those you know four six eight sixteen you know no lifts no fancy yeah, just the boutique level r60 yeah t- totally density. I mean I, you know I, I don't think you know the problem with a lot of these um it like, goes a long way well not only that, but the, the, the comments that I hear from, re, you know, from potential residents, from buyers that look at them, they look at the levies and go, well, w- that's a lot of money. Like, it's all well and good to have all these facilities, but they are expensive to run. We may not need them. I mean, they look great on brochures and all the rest of it. But I mean, I, I specifically hear from people that they don't want these pools. They don't want the gyms. I mean, you know, you look at the gyms in these developments. Are they any good? How many people actually use them? The yeah. swimming pools, you know, all these sorts of stuff. I mean, how many downsizers are getting on the on the bench press? You know, again, this the one that a, a client of mine did. I, I, it sold very well. It was selling the same time as the Blackburns. I think the products held its value as well. Where a lot of these bigger scale developments, people have lost. You know, they bought them. It's like a new car. Flag price straight out the door, it goes down 50 grand. I think where the change has probably got to come from and the fullness of time and everybody being comfortable with it all, it seems likely, doesn't it, around the train hub. And there is quite a bit of energy and effort directing that to happen. And people have to be mindful that, as you said, as people get older, they do need places to go. And I think there should be a responsibility for the density to cater for some of the long-term residents. And also the scale of the development, I guess I said, and the, the ongoing expenses that I hear all the time that ultimately put people off buying in these developments. You know, yeah. small scale, people retain more of their autonomy do you know what I mean? So they don't feel like they're... I mean, even if there's a street and there's eight different developments in the street, there are eight individual developments. There's not so many people to argue with on a strata scheme. You've got a more manageable group of people to make group decisions with. Jason, last question. Mm. It's a median house price question. What is it? And if you had that in your pocket today, what would you be buying realistically if it was you yeah, with so, it? So medium house price, Swanbourne currently sits at 1.7 million i guess i'd be wanting to be in a quiet street number one number two i'd be looking for as big a block as i could get from a dollar i mean i think you never go wrong with land content to underpin your value at that sort of end of the money you'd probably be looking at as i said an original swanbourne you know 1930s or 1940s home that's had a somewhat dated extension on it. I'd see that as an opportunity to improve it and add some value. Got a street? Wright Avenue, Bellevue Terrace, you know, Wood Street. I do like the precinct you, you mentioned a little bit earlier. I think it's a great one for young families, particularly the one over near the Army Barracks. So Granville Street, Linton Street, Jamison Street, Ilanthe Street. You're getting really good real estate in there, 530-odd square metres. You're going to pay around 1.2 block value. If you're lucky, you'll get a solid brick home again just recently sold one which was just would have been perfect to renovate and i think there's opportunity to do that jason Renoff, thank you very much for your time this has been an extremely in-depth and insightful conversation about one of perth's top suburbs in price and in price rises over the last 20 or so years as well thank you very much for coming in as much as i know you're a swanborn boy i'd love you to grab some other suburbs around town and, and come back in again sounds great trent appreciate the time Thank you for listening to another episode of the Perth Property Show. 
If you've only just joined the conversation, you can catch up by heading over to our website, perthpropertyshow.com.au, subscribing to the podcast or joining our Facebook page. Don't forget to tune in next Monday at 7am for more expert insights, local analysis and suburb spotlights. Happy hunting!